Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 199, The Athlete and Writer Inside, an interview with Sue Reynolds, coming to you on Thursday, May 28th, 2020. How are you, people? I hope that you're enjoying some good weather. We finally have some fantastic spring weather here in Melma, Sweden, which is funny because when I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, we would have already been into triple digits. I have no idea if you guys have had triple digits yet in Arizona, but it would not surprise me if you have. Um, I have to say, I'm enjoying 60 degrees more than I ever did 100 degrees, though my husband John is like, oh, I hope we have a really nice hot summer so we can go to the beach and do all sorts of summery things. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be okay with like 75 degrees. (laughs) What is that? I think 24 or 25 Celsius is like my perfect top temperature. I'm like, if it never got any warmer than this, I'd be so happy. But I don't get to control the weather. So instead, I will try to control my writing. And I have to say that this whole sprint thing I've been doing with my friend, it has been netting me thousands of words. And considering how many mornings I wake up thinking, I don't have time for this today. I really, oh, I'll just do one sprint. And sometimes I'll do one and be like, okay, I'm going to have to work a little bit later today in order to finish the other things I have to do, but I definitely want to do a second sprint. And my friend Claire and I, we've been getting a lot of words in. I finished the first draft of my book, Encouragement for Writers. Woohoo! Totally excited. And um, yeah, now I have to work on the edits, which actually I like edits too. So uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. And I finished the first chapter of Love at the Clip and Curl, which will be book two coming after Love at the Fluff and Fold, if you've read that one. So um, yeah, I have to say, sprints, they're a good thing. Find somebody that you can set a stopwatch with and write for 30 minutes or 20 minutes or 10 minutes or an hour. And uh You don't have to compete, though I have to say. Um, There is something about a little bit of healthy competition that, um, yeah. (laughs) If you write 550 words, I might feel like, do I have like one more sentence in me? Can I write 550, 10? 50, Okay, it's a little late in Sweden, which I forget because it's light out a lot. (laughs) So it's almost nine o'clock at night, which normally would be my bedtime because I wake up pretty early to exercise and work and whatnot. But it's just so hard to remember that it's time to go to bed. (laughs) So it's actually quite late for me. Anyway, I wanted to let you know that I have finally decided 100% for sure the first annual Right Now Workshop Writers Conference is postponed for a year. (laughs) Yeah, I of course really wanted to do it live and in person because those kinds of events are just so full of energy and excitement and fabulous for networking and obviously um, traveling to someplace beautiful and new that's always fun too. And I had a lot of plans for how I could um, give you guys kind of a tourist package as well. Um, But Yeah, thanks, uh, COVID-19. Nobody's uh, doing a lot of traveling right now. So um, I actually spent a couple of weeks looking into doing a virtual event for you. But the way that I looked at it was 
there are so many virtual events now, big events that are normally live and have been going on for years and years that are now looking to find a way to pivot and do it virtually for this year at least. And I'm thinking, okay, now you have actually, instead of fewer options, you have more options than ever. For instance, if wherever you live, you couldn't really afford to fly to New York City and stay in a hotel in New York City at those prices and go to Thriller Fest, well, this year you kind of can go to Thriller Fest. And that is true of a lot of writers' conferences that are still going to put on a version of the conference over the same period of time or maybe over a week so that you don't have to, you know, cram everything into two or three or four days, um, you know, going 10 hours or 15 hours at a time. So look into the other options that are now available to you. You may find that there are some things that you always thought, oh, someday I want to go and do that, that you're like, well, I could actually kind of participate, but from home. So um, look into Thriller Fest or whatever big conference that you've always wanted to go to, because it might be the only time (laughs) that uh, you'll be able to go at such an affordable price because you won't really be going. So I won't do my writer's conference this year, take advantage of all the other things, but I am going to do quite a bit of online teaching, uh, webinars, um, smaller online events. There is definitely an event on the calendar for Saturday, July 25th. My friend Jennifer Dornbush, who you've had uh, heard here on the show, she's a forensics expert and works in Hollywood, is a screenwriter, and is also a been publishing uh, mystery slash suspense books. Uh, She and I are putting on a half-day conference on Saturday, July 25th. We'll tell you more about that later. And I'm also going to start um, officially coaching writers. I've been doing it on the side with friends, helping out people that I know. And when I'm working one-on-one with someone that I've met and I love the idea of their book and they're excited and they just need direction and then I get really excited and I really like it. And so I've been thinking, yeah, you know what? I should just officially say that I would like to work with a few more people. So probably no more than half a dozen at a time. And um, there'll be a couple of different ways that, that you can work with me. But if you're at all interested, particularly if you've been meaning to start a book for a long time and you just haven't quite figured out how to get started, or you've made a lot of false starts and you're like, I just don't know exactly how to make this work, or you've been working on the same book for three or four or 10 years, I would love to help you finish that book. So let me know. Reach out to me at kitty at kittyboohultz.com. That's a good email address for me. And uh, let me know, like, what are you struggling with? Let me see if I can help you. We can talk about it. I'll be doing some pilot programs at first. And those, in a way, will be the best ones to be a part of because the entire program will be built on what do you want and what do you need. So it'll be the most personalized and individualized attention that I'll ever be able to give people as the program starts getting more fixed and I always do this and this and this and teach this and this and this. It will, by definition, get slightly less personal for the people who are in it. So this might be a really good time for you, especially if you are at home. We might as well, right? We might as well write. I was just saying how um, my friend Claire and I were getting so many words in because we're doing these writing sprints together. And even on the days like this morning when I was like, I just really am not going to. I'm so busy. I can't do it. And then I'm like, oh, it's a half an hour. I'm going to do it. (laughs) So 
um, yeah, there's a lot of little tips and tools and things that I can help you with. And I would love to help you feel like, oh, finally, I finished this project that I've been wanting to and trying to, or I finally started that book that I've been meaning to. So let me know. In the meantime, there'll be um, a lot of upcoming webinars and uh, events and just various things that I can find to teach you. I'm excited to uh, get back into teaching again. I really, really like it. So in the meantime, I'm pretty sure that those were the only notes that I really wanted to um, tell you about. I wanted to just make sure that you knew that the Writers Conference is definitely not going to happen this year. Um, and now we just need to go and listen to Sue Reynolds. This is the first book that she's ever written, and it is so inspiring. I was reading it, just kind of tearing up going, oh my gosh, this is amazing that she did this. And oh, this sort of reminds me of that time that I did something kind of like it. And it was just very, very exciting to be reading the book and then be talking to her and hear her story, um, how she got her, her first agent contract. Well, she's still with the same agent. How she signed with her agent is an amazing story. Um, all of her story. It's really a great interview. So I really hope you enjoy, enjoy it. I hope that you find yourself inspired and ready to do more writing. Even if you started thinking, oh, no, not today. Today's a bad day because of X, Y, and Z. That you go, you know what? Forget it. Yes, today I'm going to write at least a paragraph, a sentence. <laughs> Um, and, you know, maybe do a little exercise or eat a little bit healthier. You'll understand why when you hear more from Sue. So here's the episode with Sue. I hope that you have a fabulous week and we will talk again soon. Today's guest is Sue Reynolds. Sue is the author of The Athlete Inside, The Transforming Power of Hope, Tenacity, and Faith. The Athlete Inside follows Sue's journey as she lost 200 pounds and found an athlete hiding inside her body. From her first walk to the neighbor's mailbox to finishing sixth and first American at the World Triathlon Championship, Sue discovered the joy of conquering fear and pride to find that the best version of herself had been there all along. She has found that kindness has the power to change lives, and her journey is proof that we can all transform our life at any age. Sue is donating first-year proceeds from the book to USA Triathlon Foundation to help others pursue their dreams. Welcome, Sue. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I am so excited. It has been less than one week since I even heard about you, and I was so excited because we have a mutual friend, Jennifer Dornbush, who was like telling me the story of one of the authors who, who also has the same agent, and she, she has this amazing story, and this, and this, and she was telling me all these things, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. And she told me the same thing about your podcast. So I'm oh. really, very pleased to be here. Oh, I'm so glad. Listen, um, your bio says a lot and people are um, probably, unless they um, are triathletes, they probably haven't heard of you yet. I mean, there's 8 billion people in the world. We can't <laughs> expect to know everyone. But um, despite the fact that you have so much that um, it's actually such a great bio. I mean, you've condensed like an entire book into a paragraph. That's amazing. <laughs> From a writerly standpoint, I'm like, wow, this is good. But why don't we just kind of take it back a little bit. Start wherever you think is the beginning of your journey. You, we're going to talk about two journeys today. 
two journeys that I found in my life really tend to mirror each other. And that's the, um, the running journey. Well, um, in your case, triathlete uh-huh. and, um, and the writing journey, um, neither of which I think maybe just 10 years ago were on your radar. But not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So, yeah. So I think going back to the beginning, um, I gained a lot of weight um, as an adult. Um, had a job that I just absolutely loved. Um, I started a nonprofit that helps schools improve, and we work especially with schools that serve a lot of um, lower income students. And I just loved my work and felt that it was a, a very much a calling. And um, because of that, I um, often stayed up all night uh, working, and not because I had to, but because I just loved what I was doing. And um, it was not uncommon to pull, I don't know, two or three all-nighters a week. And to stay awake at night, I would eat. And so one night I might eat three dozen cookies and a pound bag of M&Ms. I just, I just, and it kept me awake um, all night. And then the next day I'd have a carb crash and I'd eat some more. And um, little by little, I gained weight until I was 335 pounds. And um, at that point, it was um, really kind of a challenge because at, when you're morbidly obese, you're just, your size is just so big that there were a lot of things that I couldn't do. And um, I couldn't, for example, fit into a restaurant booth. I, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't even bend over to tie my own shoes because my belly was so big I couldn't fit across, I couldn't reach around it to get to my, to get to my feet. So every morning I have to ask my husband to put my socks on for me Um, It was just, you know, even going into a public restroom stall, I could get in the stall, but my body was so big, I couldn't get the door closed behind me. So I just got really, really fed up with all the things that I couldn't do because of my size. And then there was the fitness part of it too. I couldn't even stand and talk at the same time without getting out of breath. I mean, just, there's a, there's a lot of um, disability that comes with being really morbidly obese. And and one morning I just, I just got tired of not all the things that I couldn't do. And I remember sitting at the breakfast table about to eat a bunch of sweets. And I literally just put my hands out, palms out in front of me, like I was pushing the food away and just said enough. And I, and I remember I said it twice, enough. And that was uh, the, the start of my journey. I just, I, after that, I just started making different choices. Wow. That's so amazing. And um, trust me, as I think um, the smaller that we get bigger cars in the U.S. and I think smaller parking spaces. <laughs> <laughs> and I've often felt that way in um, public bathrooms or um, uh, airline seats where I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, I, I mean, I'm overweight. Like I recognize I'm overweight, but I'm not I'm not as big as lots of people walking around. How in the world are they doing this? If I can't even get the bathroom door shut without my butt getting in the way. Yeah. So um, disabilitating. I mean, I, for people who've never been overweight, I, I explain that if you can imagine a large bag of ice in the grocery store weighs 20 pounds. So I was trying to carry 10 of those on my body as I was, you know, walking and yeah, it's, it's, it's uh there's there's a lot of downsides to being being a, a lot overweight. Yeah. And yet it was something that it's not like you had never tried to lose weight, right? You had. Yeah, yeah, I had throughout my life. So my first memory of being overweight 
um, was in third grade. I remember my parents talking about how I had some little fat rolls and I think I think they even like talked about it like it was cute, you know, that Susie had little fat rolls. Um, but and then my first diet I think was in ninth grade, but I was never like morbidly obese. I was just a little bit overweight. Um, I even in middle school I was runner up for homecoming queen. And you know, so you know, I I was I, I kind of you know was thin a lot of my life, but I also dieted all my life. Um, but as I started to put on weight, I had tried a couple of other times before I got to the point where I said enough. Um, but I think my motivation at that point was different because I wasn't so obese. My reason for losing weight at that point was just to look nice and yeah, by yeah. society's definition of what looking nice was. And that was enough motivation to get me started on a diet but it wasn't enough motivation to keep me going when I was facing a plate of cookies. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I had a lot, a lot of failed diets um, before I got to the point where I just said enough. And I, and I think the, the, the factor that made the difference, which is that my why changed, my, my why became really important to me. I wasn't doing it for other people and how other people said I should be, but I was doing it because of how I felt on the inside and, and who I wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. So as a writer who's been writing for almost 25 years, which every time I hit some sort of really cool number, I'm like, how am I old enough to have that kind of a number in my life? Um, yeah, we just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary and I'm like, okay, I know I'm older than 35. But I don't think that I feel it. <laughs> but for the last 25 years plus, um, I have been... Thank that's the one great thing about going to a writer's conference or going to a place where there's a lot of people that you feel like, oh, these are my people. These people, like we have so much in common. If it wasn't that I had started going to writer's conferences, I would have just thought I am the worst person in the world because for some reason, there's something in my brain that would make me say, well, in order for me to sit here and write for three or four hours, yeah, I need something to crunch. I just need something to crunch on. It'll help my brain. Yeah. And I don't know why it does seem to help. Like how much of that is my brain? How much of it's my body? You know, stuff like that. I would try to do gum and I'm like, but peanut M&Ms work so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so I know a lot of writers struggle with this idea of, um, yeah, of, of eating to, to keep going, sitting at a desk, doing whatever yeah. it is your work is. Do you have, just out of curiosity, this wasn't one of the questions I was planning on asking you, but like, do you have any ideas for how you were able to change the way that you thought and change your, well, to, to change your actions, but I, I imagine uh, it had to start inside your head. How did you help yourself to be like, I'm going to do something else to stay awake in order to do my work? Yeah, I think it was just to the point where things got so miserable because there was so much that I couldn't do. And yeah. it, it was it was just a very natural process for me that just the why changed. And, you know, until I got to the point where there had been, a, you know, a longer period of time where I couldn't put my shoes on or until I was so obese that I had to start asking for a seatbelt extender in the airplanes. And you know, feeling bad because the person next to me was so inconvenienced because I was like sitting half in that person's seat and half in my seat. Um, yeah, I think it, it just, you know, it just got to the point where, where it was enough. And Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's interesting that um, I've been hearing this a lot lately in the last, say, year or two or three, which sometimes is because people are talking about something more. And sometimes you start noticing something more because it's resonating in you in some way. Mm-hmm. So as a writer and speaking to other writers who are listening to the podcast, why is a huge part of writing fiction. Like, why does my character feel this way? Why are they thinking about doing this? You know, and it helps us with plotting and character development and that sort of thing. But I have to say, that's another kind of parallel between writing and life that I'm always looking at. I'm like, okay, well, if I can change how my characters behave, then I must be able to change how I behave. And I think why is a huge part of it. So can you tell us a little bit more about your why and how it changed and maybe how it's either still changing or like you found like this great groove now? Well, I I think that whys change all of your life as you learn more about yourself, as you learn more about the world and um, I think your your rationale for being and you know what you want to do with your life changes as as you go through life. Um, it's just natural. So I think for myself, I would be disappointed if my why didn't continue to evolve. You know, as I learn more about myself, I think that's part of being human, and it's certainly part of what um, inspires me uh, to be you know to go through life. So, but, um, so yeah, my why definitely has changed. I mean, at first it was just, my first why was to tie my shoes. And, and that was my focus. I focused on, you know, I, I visualized shoes every day and how I wanted to be able to put them on myself, you know? Yeah. So that, yeah. that was the first why. And, um, and then my why changed again, that really kept me going. And when I discovered triathlon, um, I quickly figured out that running would be a whole lot easier if I weren't overweight. <laughs> so, so I kept thinking every, you know, every five pounds I lose, I'm going to be, it's going to make it easier to run. And then as I started to be more competitive in triathlon, it became, you know, every five pounds I lose, I'm going to be faster in the run. So, so yeah, so, you know, it just kind of evolves and um, yeah. So wise change over time. Yeah, yeah. And I think that um I think that it's a real encouragement to people listening that maybe if you're frustrated with some part of your life whether it's writing or health or some other part, maybe just stop for a minute, give yourself block 15 minutes out of your calendar and just ask yourself for whatever the thing is that's frustrating you. Ask yourself, well, why are you doing it or why are you not doing it? And see if you can find out what your why is. Maybe what you'll discover is that the reason you are or aren't doing something or the reason that you're unhappy with the situation, you'll be like, oh my gosh, that just pisses me off now. Now I am motivated to make a change because I have found that in my life. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've learned through this whole journey is that... I've learned that you don't have to be who you are. You can be someone that you'd like to be. And um, that's one of the messages that I've tried to bring out in the book is that um, you can transform your life at any age. I, I didn't start my triathlon journey until I was 60. I didn't even know I liked sports till I was 60. And it's just, know, I have to interrupt to say, <laughs> oh my gosh, that is just crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, there's probably a lot of women who are like me because when we were in school, I, you know, it was when there weren't sports for girls. And 
I can remember um, just at, for PE, they would take all the boys to the gym to play basketball, but they didn't believe that girls could or should play basketball. So we didn't have that opportunity. We went to the home ec room and square danced for PE. You know, so I think there's probably a lot of women who are in their 60s who have athletes hiding inside of them like I did and just don't know it because they never, you know, they never had that opportunity. But yeah, so I think when you're frustrated, um, you know, just realizing that you, you can be whoever you want to be. It's just a matter of making different choices. And um, one of the tricks that I discovered um, that I kind of have used all my life um, is once I decided I wanted to be a healthy person, I found the healthiest person that I could find. And I studied them to see what, you know, how did they behave? And in my case, it was my daughter-in-law who is very healthy and beautiful. Um, and I just watched what she did. And um, when we were out for dinner, I would try to order after she ordered and then whatever she ordered, I ordered. And, you know, she was exercising a little bit. So I tried to exercise a little bit. And, you know, I think if you just, you know, find a person who you admire and then just study them and watch what their actions and their choices are, and then just implement those choices. And, you know, there you've started a new journey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's wonderful advice in any area. And I know that it's one of the reasons why writers go to writers conferences. So they can ask people, well, what do you do? Do you write every day? Or do you write for four hours at a time? Or how do you do things? And then you, you try a bunch of things to find out the thing that works for you. And then you can share it with other people who are asking you the question later. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's nothing like learning from colleagues. Um, who are either a step ahead of you in a journey or teaching people. And even when you're teaching someone who's a step behind you in a journey, you still learn from that teaching. I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Learning from colleagues is great. Yeah. Now that, that just brings up the most interesting question. So the person that you did a ton of learning from is actually younger than your children. Is that right? Sure. <laughs> yes. Tell us about that. So that was, um, in, in my book, there's kind of two main characters. One is me, and then the other one is my coach, Coach Brandt. And um, when I started in triathlon, I was absolutely clueless. I had no idea what I was doing. And I, like I usually do when I have a question, I got online and I Googled triathlon, and then I Googled triathlon coach. And I found this young, young whippersnapper <laughs> who lives in my community. Um, I was 60, he was 27 when I met him, um, Coach Brandt. And yeah, I, we have now worked together for seven years. And in triathlon, most coach-athlete uh, relationships break up after two or three years. So yeah, wow. so going seven years is really um, phenomenal. And uh, he was amazing. I First of all, I had to learn to uh, trust that he knew what he was doing at such a young age. Um, and then I had to learn how to take directions from such a young person. <laughs> and that was, you know, because he's my coach and he has to be able to tell me what to do and I'm supposed to like mind him. <laughs> so yeah. that was that was a little bizarre. Um, but I really did come to trust him and uh, just put myself in his hands and he built my fitness. And the other part of it, which I think is probably true in, in all areas of life, is he had to, he had to build my confidence. Um, you know, especially as I started progressing very quickly in triathlon. Um, in my first world championship, I was still virtually a beginner. I was like in my third season and 
um, he really had to convince me that I was a, you know, I was an athlete. And I, you know, it comes back to what you were saying earlier. I think we have to see ourselves, you know, as a, in writing, you have to see yourself as an author or a writer before you feel comfortable starting on that journey and at least be able to see the possibility. And it was the same thing with my coach. I mean, he had to, I, I in the beginning, I couldn't even call myself an athlete. Um, he, he had to convince me that, that it was okay to call myself an athlete. And then he had to convince me that I, you know, had some skill and um, yeah, that was, he, he was just wonderful and building all parts of me, my confidence, my, my fitness, um, my technique. Um, he just, yeah, he was great. Oh, wow. But young. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I still walk into the running store to get new shoes or new whatever. And I'm like, so I'm a runner. And then I kind of do that <laughs> hand motion on my body. I know I don't look it, but I am and I need blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's weird how embarrassed we can be if we don't look like the person in the magazine. Oh, and not only, and not only body shape, but you must've been thinking, but I'm 60. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I mean, not. The first, the first time I contacted him, I, I wrote him an email and I just, I didn't, wasn't looking for a coach. I just wanted to do a 30 minute sit down to ask a bunch of questions. And, and I wrote to him and I said, I said, here's the deal. I'm a grandma, I'm overweight, and I'm obese, by the way, and I'm totally out of shape. Would you be interested in talking to me? And he said, yes. And so I wrote him again, just to be clear, you understand, <laughs> I'm a grandma, <laughs> I'm obese. And he said, yes. And then after we first met, and he, he said, you know, I could coach you. And I agreed, which shocked me. But even then I got home and I wrote him again. Now you're clear, I'm obese. I was trying to give him an opportunity to back out. But, yeah. but he didn't. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's been fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the fellows that I go to church with, he's 31, I'm 52. Mm -hmm. um, he's ex-army. I was in the Marines for 90, 87 days, not even 90 days. Oh. Um, I just, I am not, I don't think exercise is fun. I don't know why I think running is fun, but anything that's mm -hmm. not running or writing my, anything that isn't considered a normal recreational activity, I'm like, okay, negative push-ups are horrible. I hate them. <laughs> I only do them because he said, this is the third exercise you have to do. <laughs> but sometimes I'm doing my exercises and, um, and we, we have a, a relationship worked out, particularly during COVID-19, where it's basically we're using an app and, and connecting to each other that mm -hmm. way. And so I'll just be like in my head wanting to say, my gosh, how do I convince this 31-year-old ex-army physical trainer? I'm 52. I'm overweight and out of shape. I can't do this. And then I think, oh, I'll just do as much as I can. And then I write, I could only do three sets. And the last set only had eight instead of 12, but it was the best I could do. And he writes back in all capital, woohoo, go, look what you yeah. did. And I'm like, well well, all right, if, if you think that was okay, then I'll try again. Every time I feel like giving up, it's like this big cheerleading squad. I'm like, how do we get this in the writing community? <laughs> we need someone to be the cheerleader in all the phases of our lives that are important to us, but have difficult moments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think having those cheerleaders is important and also having the, uh, an accountability system. Um, when I, when I first started walking at 335 pounds, 
the, the farthest that I could go is to the neighbor's driveway and which is like 50 yards away. Um, but when I got home, I text my sons, you know, I walked, I walked today, first time, and they were woohoo. And the next day I said, I walked to the second neighbor's driveway. And but what I came to realize later is that I had set up an accountability system that way, that every day I was reporting to someone what I did and getting that positive feedback. And um, even I kind of did the same thing when I started writing um, the book. I um, it was clueless how to write a book and um, ended up meeting with a, um, a person who I refer to as my book mentor um, or book coach. And But same thing, um, you know, I'd write a chapter and I had no confidence in the beginning of writing. And he really encouraged me, told me what I was doing well, gave me tips, but always in a very positive way that made me feel confident that I could write the next part of the book. And so I, and I've, I've learned for me that, you know, be it writing or triathlon or whatever, that um, having, having an accountability person is really important for me. I'm not sure everybody needs that, but, but it really works well for me. So. Yeah. And one of the things that you said early in, in your book was that you were sure that you didn't need this. And then eventually you had to, and, and you, um, oh, I wrote it down. You started, I don't know if you had already been doing this in other areas of your life, but in your book, you talk about telling yourself, go away fear, go away pride when you were trying to do something outside yeah. your comfort zone. And one of the things was choosing to be like, okay, I, I guess I could use some help. And in, in fact, the help and community aspect is helping me make more progress than I did on my own. Absolutely. So I think as I look back, one of the biggest things I've learned in this journey is to say those, that mantra, go away fear, go away pride. And I can look back to how many things I probably could have done in my life, but didn't do because especially pride got in the way. And um, in, especially with losing weight, um, I never asked for help. I thought I could do it on my own. I was too proud to say I need help. Um, I just thought that, um, you know, I, I should be, I'm a strong woman. I should be able to do this on my own. I, I don't need help. And um, yeah, so I've learned um, to, to just say, go away pride, go away fear. And that really, that happened at my first triathlon race. Um, I was absolutely clueless on, on what I was doing. And, you know, there's a part where you have to transition from you start with a swim and then, and, and there's, let me back up for a second. There's different lengths of triathlon. So for your listeners, the, most of them are probably thinking about the Kona race in Hawaii where you race for 17 hours and you go 140 miles. But just like in track and field, there's different distances of triathlon. So um, I compete at two different distances. One is the half Ironman, which is a 70 mile race. And then the one that I'm really competitive in is the sprint triathlon, which is basically it's a, um, a half mile swim, um, which is like 16 laps of the pool or, or so. So it's, you know, it's not a long, long swim. Um, then it's a 12 mile bike and a, um, and a, a three mile run, so a 5k run. But you don't have to go fast. And that's one of the um, things I'm trying to bring out in the book, too, is that you don't have to be a great athlete to do a triathlon. Um, I actually dog paddled part of my swim in my first um, triathlon. And people walk the run. It's, you're just out having a, you know, a fun day in the sun. And 
Um, so, so, but yeah, but my first one, I, you know, I'm 60 years old. I don't know my, I don't hang out with, tri- with athletes, you know, I, yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. So um, I had read a book um, to kind of get a glimpse, but I had never seen it. And there's this part in triathlon where it's called the transition area, where you, when, when you come out of the swim, then you grab your, you take off your goggles and your swim cap, you grab your bike, um, then you go out on the bike and then you come back and you have to, you know, um, park your bike and, and get your run shoes on and go out on the run. So I had no idea how to set that up. And my first triathlon, I walked into that area and I am terrified. I mean, I have not a clue what to do. But another lesson I've learned in life is that when you're lost, just look for the smartest person in the, in the room um, and just say, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> help. And so I found a, a guy that looked like he had a very expensive bike. So I figured he would, he would know what he was doing. And, um, you know, that, I think that was one of the first times I just said, go away fear. And then I, I asked him for, for help. Um, and then later, I mean, I'm still like, I'm 300 pounds and I have to be in public in my bathing suit with all my jiggly parts jiggling. And, um, and I mean, you had to like run from the start to the water's edge and I'm thinking I'm going to run and all my body is going to be bouncing up and down. And, you know, at that point, I, I remember thinking, and I, I've done this actually physically several times. I, you know, remember thinking, holding my hands in front of me, palms up. And this time I said, okay, in, in one hand is your pride. And in the other hand is your wanting to complete this race, which is more important. And at that point, I learned to say, go away pride and just take that step forward. So with that in mind, I took off my cover up and stood there in my bathing suit in all my glory for, for everybody to see my body, my obese body and walked into the water and, and, and took off. But if I hadn't said go away pride, you know, I never would have taken off that cover, the cover up that I had on. Yeah. So yeah, those are big lessons oh, for me. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm just still... Um thinking about all the implications there, like in your whole life to, to weigh yeah. things and ask you which one of these is more important. And so often, and it's, it's terrible. I, I actually am just really embarrassed. I feel like I'm a 52 year old woman of faith. You know, I've, I've, um, I've had a set of life principles that I feel like have been building me, making me a better person over the years. And I still choose pride and fear so many times without even realizing it, which means that it was really easy for me. And I think, ah, oh, <laughs> it's taking yeah. so long to learn these lessons. <laughs> I, I think we're all like that. And, you know, there's every day there's places where fear and pride can get in the way. And, and it's, it's, you know, it, it, it takes courage to get past those and it's not always easy. And sometimes we make choices that aren't the ones that we wish we had made, but, you know, and that's another lesson I've learned through all this is that when I make a bad choice, that's not going to take me forward. That's not a dead end. It's just, I just need to circle back and start again. And um, that's some one thing too, with losing weight, you know, so many times I'd mess up and, you know, eat something I wasn't supposed to eat. And then I'd have to tell myself, okay, just reset. Um, that became kind of another mantra for me too, is just anytime I messed up, just reset. Don't, don't, you know, don't beat yourself up. Everybody may have slips, just reset and let's go forward again. So yeah. yeah that's important. And I, and I opened the book actually with a failure. Um, I thought about 
starting the book where everything was going well, but I opened the book with the first 66 pounds that I lost and then I gained them all back. And so, because I wanted to tell that story that it's okay to make a mistake or to head off in a wrong direction. And then if you find that that wasn't the way to go, you know, don't give up, just figure out plan B and go in a different direction. So, but if that, if that vision, if that, that you have is really, really, really important to you, you have to some way or another keep moving towards that vision. It's not going to be a straight line, but you just have to keep correcting and correcting until you, you know, until you get to the point where you want to be. So yeah. And I don't think any of us ever actually get to the point where we want to be. It's just a constant journey. Yeah. Which, you know, from a, from a fiction writer's perspective, I'm like, yeah, that's what it is though. I mean, our characters <laughs> only get to the end of the story because it's the end of that piece of the journey. That's the only reason why we put the end on that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and as, as you're mentioning characters, I'm going to go back to what you were saying about my coach being so young. Um, I think the, the, the intergenerational relationships are just so sweet. Um, this was the first time I've ever had a, a, you know, a nice relationship with someone who was not in my generation. And that is such a lovely thing. Um, you know, my coach who is so young, um, has his zaniness and his youthful ideals and, you know, he's young and, and then, but being older, you know, what I have to bring to the table is some life experience and, you know, hopefully some wisdom. Um, and it just, I think that intergenerational relationship is, is just, just delightful. And so as you talk about characters, I'm thinking, oh yeah, let's put intergenerational characters in books. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Because I think that we forget when we spend so much of our time, you know, with people who are part of our group, whether it's our family group or our friends group or church group or our work group. Um, and then we sort of forget about that we do have other relationships outside of this and that we should maybe consider peppering our books with other relationships yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about. Um, and of course, I, I really want to just like take over the show and go, okay, let's talk about like, how can I become better at the things <laughs> that I do based on your experience? But um, Listeners, I haven't forgotten that you're listening. So let's talk a little bit about writing. Interestingly, you've had two start from zero amazing journeys. So tell us a little bit about who first put the idea in your head or what's it you that maybe I should write this down. Why did you go to a writer's conference and what happened? Yeah, so the, there were several things that happened to, that helped me. It's like you're saying, get the confidence to begin being a writer. And one was that when I would go to triathlons and tell people I had lost a lot of weight, um, folks would, you know, say, oh, you should write a book. And, you know, I thought, okay, right. (laughs) (laughs) But then um, I, a reporter from a newspaper um, a sports editor asked if he could interview me. And I'm thinking, I told him, no, I didn't think so. Cause I'm thinking who would be interested in reading about me? I mean, that was just like crazy to me, but he explained that he thought there'd be a lot of interest in my story. And he said, the article wouldn't be about me. It would be about my story and that I would have the opportunity to have a platform because of the interest in my weight loss and, and all that. And, and he invited me to start thinking about what would your messages be in your in your platform. 
Um, so that kind of got me interested. And then the the clincher was um, I was at an, another race in Omaha and a TV station asked if they could do a little segment on me. And that ended up being a, a 30 second video that somebody put up on Facebook about my journey and it went viral. Um, it had 300,000 views and hundreds of shares. And that really hit home that there was interest and that I could use my story as a platform for sharing messages. So I thought about, you know, a lot about the messages that I wanted to share. And, you know, we talked about one of them already, which was that you can transform your life at any age and, and you can be the person that you want to be. Um, and then the other message was just about the power of kindness. Um, throughout my journey, um, people were so kind to me and um, that really enabled me to step forward. It's kind of like you're saying about when you have a, a mentor or somebody to say, woohoo, keep going, you know, it just, there was always at the right moment, there was always somebody in my life giving me that encouragement or helping me solve a problem or, you know, I just, I just thoroughly believe in the power of kindness to, to change lives. And, and it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be sometimes for me, it was just two words. I mean, just, or one word with two syllables, woohoo, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so those, so that was, those were kind of the messages I wanted to share. But then, like you're saying, I have no clue how to write a book. I mean, I got a D on my term paper in, in high school English. You know, just, <laughs> so I have no confidence in myself as a writer. Um, but, um, and then I also still wasn't convinced that anybody would want to read it. So I heard about this writer's conference and um, having been to a lot of writers' conferences, you might um, identify with this, but I, there's, it was, a, I think, a large one. There were 400 people. Would that be a large conference? Yeah, that'd be pretty big, yeah. So, so there are 400 people, and I walk in, and every single person has a manuscript except me. And the deal was, and I, I don't know if this is typical, but you, you went to the conference, and there were sessions, and then you could have a 10-minute meeting with, a, with an agent. So I went to the conference just for that 10 minute meeting. I just wanted to ask a real agent, do you think it'd be worth my time to even write this book? So we, we go to the conference and the first session was on, on how to write the first sentence of a book. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're spending an entire hour talking about writing one sentence. <laughs> and I know I'm in over my head. I mean, I just, I thought there is no way I'm writing a book. So one at a time, people are going off to meet with their agent. And, you know, when everybody came back into the large session, they would shake their head no, they didn't, they didn't get an offer. And one woman was really excited because she was asked to submit three chapters and everybody around her was like, woo, that's so wonderful. And, and then it's my turn. And I, I have no idea how to make a pitch. I mean, I, I, I know nothing about writing. So I whispered to my neighbor sitting next to me, you know, what did you say when you went in there? And she told me. And so I'm madly, you know, trying to think about what I'm going to say. I wrote a few notes on an envelope. I mean, I was so like not ready for this. So I go in and I meet with this agent. And I, I felt really bad because I didn't have a manuscript like everybody else did. And so I just said to her, I said, I'm a little different probably than everybody else here. I said, I don't have a manuscript but I'd just like to ask you a question. And, and, she's, and I could see like she was like puzzled, but she said, okay. So we sat down and I said, 
you know, I'm thinking about writing a book. I just would like to know if you think it's worth my time. It would be a book about, and then I gave her my 30 second outline of the book. And then I said, so do you think anybody would like to read a book like this? And, and she, she paused and then she looked at me and she said, yes, I think maybe people would like to read this book. And then there's this long pause. And then she said, and I'd like to offer you a contract right now. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm thinking, what? And I was so like, I was so shocked. I mean, I was hoping that maybe she'd, my, my wildest dream is she'd, she'd say yes. And 10 years from now, please come back. And I, I you know, you can send me your manuscript. Yeah. But now all of a sudden she's saying she wanted to give me a contract. And I thought I had heard her wrong. I, I just couldn't believe it. So I, so I repeated to her, you want to offer me a contract right now? And she said, yes. And then I said, what does that mean? You want to offer me a contract right now? <laughs> and she said, means I want to offer you a contract right now. And I still couldn't believe it. So on my little envelope that I had, I wrote down the words so she would see me writing them down. And I wrote down, so you want to offer me a contract right now? And I looked at her and she said, yes, that's true. <laughs> I was just, and I, I was, I've never been speechless in my entire life, but all I could do is sit there with my mouth hanging open, my hands over my mouth, and I just looked at her. I couldn't believe it. So yeah, I came, came out and but then I'm feeling really bad because I don't even have, a, I go back in the room and I'm the one who doesn't even have a manuscript and I'm the one who gets a contract. So I just, it was just crazy. I remember going into the, into the restroom and I, I finally, I, I'm standing in the restroom talking to all the women at the, at the sinks and I finally just couldn't stand it anymore. I just started jumping up and down. <laughs> it was just crazy. But, but then I had a problem because I had a contract, but no book and no clue how to write a book. <laughs> right. That is a little bit of a problem. <laughs> but I'm sure that there must have been a part of your brain that was like, I have done harder things than this. I can figure this out. That's exactly right. And, and you know, even when I was talking to her, I did ask her, I said, because I'm thinking, I said, what if I can't write? And she said, well, find a ghostwriter. You'll be fine. So... But, um, but I remember thinking, okay, I couldn't do triathlon either. And I figured that out. And, and that gave me the confidence to say, okay, if you can figure out how to do a triathlon, you can figure out how to write a book. So, so yeah, yeah, that was how it started. It's crazy. Now, um, some people who are listening won't have actually uh, yet, won't have yet had the courage to start yet. Or maybe they've started and haven't finished the first book yet. Or maybe they have 20 or 30 books out, but they're, never done a memoir. So, um, and essentially your book would be, is it considered a memoir? It's not really yeah, self-help. Yeah, I, I would consider it a memoir, yes. Yeah. So, um, so for people who are listening, who are like, I've been kicking around the idea of writing, you know, some really interesting bits of my story, but, and then there's like all of the excuses. So, so give us some thoughts on like, how did you go from blinking cursor on the white computer screen or, or blank piece of paper to just telling yourself, just write something down or whatever you, how did you begin? Yeah. So I began with a lot of false starts. Um, I really, it took me a year to really get going. Um, and thankfully my agent was very patient. Um, so I just started writing and I, I think that as I look back, I'm learning so much, but, and, and again, I'm such a newbie. So jump in here to explain how this maybe should work. But I, 
my guess is that everybody has their own kind of style for how they get started. And mm -hmm. my style I've discovered as I look back in work projects as well, where I've written for work, um, I, I just start writing and I just get all the ideas down. I don't have an outline when I begin, I just start writing. And then after I've written, then I can develop the outline because then I can kind of see how pieces fall together. Um, and then I rewrite and follow the outline so that one part will lead to another. But in this case, um, you know, I think the, the first step was just getting the confidence that it, this was something people would want to read. Yeah. And then the second step was I, I, I just started writing, but nothing gelled. Um, you know, I'd, I'd write in this direction, then I'd write in that direction. I actually bought a book called Memoir Writing for Dummies. And, and <laughs> that, that actually was pretty helpful um, to, nice. to just kind of give me some thoughts about how to get started. But I just, I just, I didn't go anywhere for a year. And then I started thinking, you know, just like we talked about earlier that it's okay to ask for help. And um, I started looking for a book coach and um, talked to a few people and um, finally found a gentleman who was a retired English teacher um, in Indiana from Indiana University and um, contacted him and said, you know, I have this contract, I'm supposed to write a book, I don't know how to give you to get started, I'm lost, help. And he was wonderful. Um, even before we started working together, the first email that he sent me, it's, he said, he said, I want, where I want you to begin is to just write down all the things that you can't leave out of the book. You know, you has to be in the book. So I just started make, I just made a list, a bulleted list of those things. And that just opened up something inside of me and it, it all just started flowing then. So wow. That's a great yeah. idea. I've never heard that from a memoir, but it sounds so kind of obvious after you hear it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I think that, you know, I was getting stuck with on, on trying to make a book, you know, make these ideas all connect and stuff. And um, yeah, and then when um, John Woodcock, my book coach, when he said to, you know, to just make that list that I could do that, you know, that was yeah. a step we could do. And then, then we could look at how the parts, you know, played together. So yeah, yeah helpful. Wow. I, I love how there are so many things in life that, um, that mirror or are analogies for other parts of life. Uh, one of the things that, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm always looking for little mental tricks that will help me to get past the no portion and onto the yes. So um, this morning, I just really, really, really did not feel like I had time to do a writing sprint with my friend. So I live in Malmö, Sweden, and the next train stop on going, what would it be, uh, west, <laughs> um, is Copenhagen. And my friend lives in Copenhagen. And so we've gotten in the habit the last couple of weeks of every morning, we do writing sprints, you know, about 8.30 in the morning. And wow, I've gotten thousands of words written on days that I was like, I don't really have time. But today I was like, no, today I'm putting my foot down. I really don't have time. I am not spending 30 minutes on a writing sprint because, and then I had my 40 reasons. And by the time I got to like reason 17, I'm like, oh, okay, you just need to do it. You just need to do it. And there are all these little like mental tricks. And it's like, if I can just do this part, or if I see something, I'll, I'll be running and thinking, I cannot run 
a minute longer. I, I'm going to walk or I'm going to stop and turn around or whatever. And then, and then I just see crowds that I've seen for, I always think for other people at mm -hmm. marathons and half marathons where everybody's cheering and clapping and they're so excited. And I just like imagine on this empty dirt road that there's this crowd down at that tree telling me, mm -hmm. you can do it. Come on, Kitty, run to the tree. <laughs> yeah. And for some reason it works, it helps. And, and I get some of these little tricks where I'm like, okay, you know what? Just pretend you're running and you just have to run to the tree, do one riding sprint. You know, and I'm always finding something that is um, motivating or inspiring to just get me past the no onto just moving. Yeah. Do yeah. you have things like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I, I think you talked about riding sprints in one of your other podcasts that I listened to. And um, and do I remember right that you had a, a partner that you were writing the writing, doing the writing sprints with? Yeah. So the two of us just, we look at the clock and we're like, okay, how about top of the hour? You know, whatever time it is in either time zone at zero, zero, we'll write for 30 minutes and we text each other, go. And then we start typing as you know, how, yeah. not necessarily as fast as we can. We just type as much as we can in 30 yeah. minutes. Yeah. 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 So I think, you know, in doing that, you, you kind of set up a, um, an accountability system as well. You know, you're, you're being accountable with a friend. For, for me, my accountability system was with my book coach. So we met every Friday um, for coffee. And on Tuesday, I would send him a chapter and he would, you know, so that he could be ready to review it with me on, on Friday. Um, and then, you know, just, I think kind of like you're saying too, I find it really helpful to set up a routine that where I know that on Sundays I'm going to write. And luckily, I, I think I'm unusual in this, or at least people have told me I'm unusual, but I can sit down and write for six, eight hours at a time. And so I, I just designated every Sunday to writing and I'd sit down after church and just, just write until evening and um, have, you wow. know, knock out a chapter and then I'd send it to John. Um, but I think having that accountability system and I, I had to laugh when you talked about racing and picturing people at the end cheering for you. You know, John was my cheerleader. So, you know, my book coach played that role as well. It was my accountability, he was my accountability system. But then especially, you know, I came into this with absolutely no confidence as a writer. I mean, I got a D in high school English and for 40 years, I've thought of myself as a horrible writer. So, um, yeah, and, and so, you know, having John, say, I mean, there are lots of chapters he had no edits on. I mean, it was just, wow. you know, he, he, he built my confidence. He later, he has joked with me. He said, you have this book called The Athlete Inside. He said, your next book needs to be called The Writer Inside. <laughs> so, so and, and to his credit too, I've learned to love writing. I mean, I will write the rest of my life. Um, wow. So yeah, I've really, you know, it's, it's, it's so much fun for me to, you know, take words and to use words to tell a story and to teach and to elicit emotions. And, you know, it's just, it, it's just, you know, it's, it, I don't know, it's just, it's like conducting an orchestra except the, the, the instruments are words. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just love it. And, but I think setting up that accountability system and having a cheerleader, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be through a formal book coach, just like you were saying, you know, with a friend, 
that you you do your writing sprints with and then that friend is there to say woohoo you know you did it and, yeah 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 and i'm a big fan of celebrating i i feel a little weird <laughs> saying this to somebody who is a you know um worldwide triath triathlete champion <laughs> I, I learned by reading your book that there is not an extra a it's not triathlete the way I've been saying my oh. whole life <laughs> and it's not triathlon yeah so I'm like oh okay I learned something new <laughs> but um I just finished uh, the first draft of my book encouragement for writers two days ago oh, and cool. I was like yay and I'm really big into encouragement in my writing classes and stuff sorry encouragement and celebration celebrating mm -hmm. the things because I think that it does a lot inside your brain to help your brain know, oh, this was something that you really wanted. Well, great. I'll help you do more of it then. Yeah. So I'm really big into celebrating. And what I did was I went to the store and bought a pint of um, Ben and Jerry's vegan peanut butter cookie. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm only going to have a few spoonfuls today, but I'm celebrating with ice cream. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Celebration, I think, is really important. And the other thing is, and I think this would apply to writing too, um, I have learned that there's a difference between outcome goals and process goals. And the, the outcome is like the finished product. So for me, the outcome was making Team USA and qualifying for Worlds. Um, but in writing, the outcome was to finish the book, you know, that to have a book. And, 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 and so, but then there's the process goals. So the process goals are the little things that you do every day that if you do them well, will result in the outcome. So, you know, in terms of tri in, in, in triathlon and running, you know, the, the, the process goals are things like, you know, do this workout every day and do it with integrity and do what your coach tells you to do even when you don't want to. And, um, you know, to get lots of sleep and to eat properly and, you know, all those things you do every day. But in the writing world, you know, if the outcome goal is to have the finished manuscript, the process goals might be to to do that that sprint writing you know activity you know every so often that you have planned or to write a chapter every week or you know or whatever so and then the celebration comes for me i believe the celebration comes with the process goals that when you do that sprint writing you woohoo i did it or you know when you finish that first chapter yeah i nailed that first chapter you know, and then to just keep being disciplined about making those process goals happen. Yes, I totally agree. And I love what you said, too, for people who are listening. Um, it is so easy to take uh, the advice of someone who's like a, you know, national or international best-selling author, author and say, okay, that must be the way to do it. And then you can't seem to succeed that way. And then you yeah. think, well, it's, it's me. I'm, I'm a bad writer. I love that you said that you decided that what worked for you was to take one day and that was your writing day. And you get all of the writing done for the week on that day. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think it's wonderfully encouraging to help people to see that um, they just need to find we all need to find what works for us individually and at different points in our life. There may come a point in your life when you're like, you know what, it's really going to work better for me to work, you know, three days a week in the morning or something else. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember reading like how do writers write? And, you know, I, and I, I, I can remember reading that, you know, you should take X amount of time every morning before you start your day and do that writing. And that, that just didn't fit for me. 
I also um, talked with folks and when I would tell folks, so I, I just do these marathon writings on Sundays and people would say, oh no, you can't do that. But, oh. you know, I did it. <laughs> so yeah. And honestly, I think it, um, it has to do with a whole lot of things, not the least of which is what else is going on in the rest of your life. Sure. Um, for instance, I have the hardest time if, if, if I don't get out of bed and immediately go run or whatever, it's really hard for me to get it in. For some reason, I need to do it first thing. Yeah. So if you have things um, or people who you know, still have children at home to take care of and get to school or, or whatever it is that you have to do, you can't always emulate somebody else's success and expect that it's going to turn out the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had another point too, but I forgot what it was. <laughs> But it, it's, you remind me of a, another mantra that I like to use, and, and that's, um, so when I started competing competitively, my mantra was, no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. And it's, it's kind of, you know, that find a way part. If the vision is that you want to have this book, and you really, that's your passion, and you feel that in your, you know, there's fire in the belly, you just want to make that happen, then it's just find a way. And it might not be the same way for everybody. It might be that you head off in one direction, like we said earlier, and that that's not working. So you come back and you find a new direction. But if the, the goal is writing that book, it's just find a way. Yeah. yeah. And it may end up being different for each book. I mean, oh, yeah. 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 So encouragement for you when you write the next book, <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. possible that it'll go in, in a totally different way. And we'll talk about it again, you know, in a year or two. And you'll be like, yeah, so all the things that worked for this one, then they didn't all work for that one. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So don't feel bad if it seems to be going off in a wonky direction. <laughs> Honestly, that was one of the things I loved about your book. When you talked about, um, I probably won't get the details right, but because uh, there's so many times when I was reading it going, oh, I've been there, been there, been there. <laughs> and one of the things when you were doing really well and you had vacation and you're like, instead of having a, um, a one day break in the diet that you would have every week, I'll just have this one week vacation break, but it took you a month to get back. Yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh, it just feels so good to hear other people who you know, I look at you now and I see who you are now and I think, oh my gosh, it could never be you. But I read this about part of the process and I think, okay, this is a problem that I have. This is a problem that Sue had. Sue found a way through her problem. I can find a way through. Yeah. And I think as you, as you find ways through different challenges, as anyone does, you learn about yourself and, and then you learn how to avoid that problem or how to handle it if it happens again. So in that case, I, I had been taking a, um, a cheap meal once a week where I could still enjoy the food that I like to eat, fun foods. And we went on vacation and I decided, well, I'll just take a cheap, um, a cheap week. And I, when I got back, it, I, I had developed a new habit of eating. And so it was really hard. And my cheat week turned into a cheat month uh, before I finally said, you know, okay, restart. <laughs> this is not working, restart. Um, but what I learned is that if, if for me personally, if I go off track for three days, it's really hard to get back on. But if I go off track for one day, it's just, okay, restart. And then it's a lot easier. So, so I'm always really cautious now that if I do have a, a slide and I'm starting to eat 
you know, when I get close to that three day mark, I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be a whole lot harder if you go past this point. <laughs> yeah. So, so then I, you know, can take that step back then. So, yeah. You know, Sue, um, I have a question for you that you might be able to, to help a lot of people that I know. Um, <laughs> so writers, particularly ones who are, you know, full-time writers, uh, we sit at our desk way yeah. too much. Um, you know, some people have gotten so that they have like a, a treadmill near their desk or something like that, which is great. But I have a lot of friends who have had hip or knee replacement surgeries partially because of getting extremely overweight and their body just not being able to hold it up and things grinding down. Obviously, that's not the only reason that you get hip or knee replacements, but, but it's definitely something that I've seen. And I, I look at people, you know, ahead of me on the path or ahead of me in age, and I ask myself, what do I want to do that they're doing? What do I want to not do that they're doing? Um, so, so the fact that we're doing an awful lot of sitting, plus recently... Uh, gosh, I can't even think of how long it's been now, three months, more than three months that um, a lot of people have been confined either entirely to their homes or mostly to their homes. And, uh, you know, jokingly, people have been talking about how they've been learning to cook and bake in ways that they never had before. Not jokingly, we've been talking about how much weight we've been gaining. So just wondering, like, do you have any like little tip that you can think of that might help because the problem is now for three months I've been eating whatever my husband makes and he's a really good cook and I've been at home. So I have this extra time where I'm not commuting or doing other things with my time that I'm like, Hey, I haven't baked in a long time. And I have made some pretty fantastic sea salt, peanut butter, cookies, chocolate, peanut butter, cheesecake. I've made some really good things. (laughs) Yeah. And there's only two people in our house. So, but I've been thinking to myself, okay, you know what? That was fun, but, uh, like this is not sustainable. And, um, and honestly, I have no idea really what to do. So do you have any ideas on how to, things that you've done that can get you past that? Okay. I've just been really overeating for too long. I need to do something different. Yeah, there are a lot of um, what I call little tricks that I learned uh, along the way. And you're right, sitting all day is is not um, a good thing. Um, now, in my my work and in my writing, when I'm at the computer a long time, I, I try religiously to get up and walk around the house every hour. Um, when you're sitting, it, it really, your hip flexors get really short. And so, especially if you, for running, that can be a real issue because then you can't open up your stride. So, and and sitting over years and over hours is just not a good thing. So, um, my coach wants me to actually do work at my computer standing up so that I'm not shortening that hip flexor. But that's not something I like to do. So I I just make sure I get up and walk around the house every hour just to make sure my hip flexors aren't just getting totally short. So so that's important. But then in terms of starting on, on dieting, um, oh my gosh, all, all kinds of little tricks. I think the biggest one, when, when people hear that I've lost 200 pounds, they often say, oh, you must have a lot of willpower, you know, and, and I don't, I, I don't have any willpower, <laughs> but I, I don't, <laughs> but if there were a plate of cookies in front of me right now, I'd be eating them. <laughs> but, um, but what I learned, um, one lesson that I learned was just to manage my environment. And so we don't have a lot of um, fun, what I call fun foods, um, cookies and candies um, in the house. Um, that's just, we, we just, I just manage the environment like that. And 
when we go grocery shopping, I don't buy like a month's worth of foods because if I have a month worth of fun food, I'll, I'll like eat it all. So anytime fun food comes in the house, um, it, it's in a, a portions that I won't like go hog wild and just eat it all. And then there, there's some fun foods like cereal that I would eat the entire box that I've asked my husband to hide. So, so he, he, the cereal in my house is hidden. I don't know where it is. The peanut butter is hidden. I don't <laughs> yeah. know where it is. So, you know, so Brian, my husband will, you know, get those out when he wants to eat them, but I can't get into them because I don't know where they are. Um, and he's a really good hider. I, I don't, I've looked for them at times, but I can't <laughs> find it. So, That's awesome. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. So yeah, so that's been in, you know, just little things like if, you know, if we do, you know, when we weren't social distancing, if, if people would come over to the house and I'd serve dinner um, and we'd have desserts and, you know, foods that I would, after they left, just eat them all. I always tried to send all the leftover food home with people and, you know, so just really managing my environment so the temptations isn't there. And then one, one other little trick that I've learned um, that I think is fun is I've tried to make my healthy food um, be like my unhealthy food. So for when I'm eating apples, I slice them into paper thin little pieces and I pretend that they're potato chips. <laughs> and, you know, because part of eating is just the process of eating and, yeah. you know, rather than putting chips or popcorn in my mouth, you know, all smothered with butter all the time. I just eat little thin slices of apples like they're potato chips and they're on my plate like I would put potato chips on my plate. So, you know, that and um, yogurt, it's amazing what you can make yogurt into. Um, so I start out with plain yogurt and I put um, uh, sweetener in it so I'm not using sugar. Um, and then if you put, then I use all kinds of extracts. So if you put in orange extract and vanilla extract, it tastes just like a creamsicle. I mean, just exactly like a creamsicle. Wow. If you use lemon extract and um, in, in vanilla extract, it tastes just like lemon meringue pie. I mean, <gasps> it's just, yeah. So I'm, I can make whatever little fantasy dessert I want to have out of yogurt. Um, yeah, so nice. just, you know, little things like that too. And, and really after, when I first started this, after the first three weeks, I, I just stopped craving the, those sweet, unhealthy foods. So yeah, so just, you know, just little tricks. I have to say this is so encouraging because the things that you're saying having to do with food, something that I'm struggling with, are so similar to advice, uh, different kinds of advice that I give to writers when they're struggling to sit down and, and get any words written in a day or a week. Because it's not about thinking, I, how am I going to write this 250 page book or how am I going to write, you know, 42 chapters of this novel? Um, and it's not about the fact that I really need to lose 40 pounds and think of how much faster a runner I'd be if I wasn't carrying an extra 40 pounds. <laughs> but it's about this one little change that I can do right now, maybe not even for the whole day, just my next snack will be an apple cut into little pieces that make it look like potato chips. Like yeah. that's one little thing I can do right now and have success with right now. And then just try to build more successes in. Yeah. It's just like we were saying before, those little process goals, you know, just writing that little bit, sitting down, sitting down, maybe even if you don't even write, but just sitting there, you know, inviting the writing to happen is a, is a success. Yeah. You know? so. 
I actually have heard, I can't think of who, and I want to say I've heard it from two different people that at some point, I don't know if it was when a book was difficult or it was earlier in their career, they told themselves that they had to sit in front of their computer with the document open. They didn't have to type, but they could not do anything else. Nothing on their phone, nothing on Facebook, nothing else. They couldn't click open to another program. They couldn't check their email. They couldn't do anything except for either they would watch that blinking cursor or they would type something so it would stop blinking. You know, I, I love that because it's kind of like managing your environment again. Either, yeah. you know, I had to get the food out of my environment and they had to get all those other distractions out of their environment. Yes. This has been cool. so great. Sue, I just love talking to you. I would totally talk to you for hours. Both of us have other things we need to do, but wow, this has been fantastic. And as I often say to the people who are exercising while they listen, I'm very sorry. Once again, for the 50th time that we've talked too long, you really probably should stop running on the treadmill right now. It's probably been an hour. <laughs> but Sue, go. let us know, where can people find you in your book and anything else that you're doing? Yeah, so um, my website is suereynolds.net. So Sue Reynolds, R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S, just like Reynolds Wrap Aluminum Foil, suereynolds.net. And there's links there to um, all of my social media contacts. And um, I love connecting with people on social media. Um, I've actually developed some really good friends um, th that I've met on social media. So that's been a lot of fun. And then also in the um, in my website, there's a tip section for getting started with exercise and also getting started with um, with losing weight. Um, and then I just launched an, a new section that would be appropriate for writers as much as it would be for for people that are wanting um, to go on a fitness journey. Um, it's it's called uh, Start the Journey. And you, in my work work, I teach people about the process of change. So what I've done there is just um, created a series of text boxes to talk about, you know, what is your vision and what's your goal and the first steps and how, what are you going to celebrate? And so that's available for anybody to just go and work through those steps to think about beginning a, whatever journey they want to begin, writing a book, losing weight, having, climbing a career ladder, whatever. So, Brilliant. so yeah, Nice. I am totally going over to that section and checking it out. Mm -hmm. I really, more than anything, I have this great opportunity. I'm signed up to run the Copenhagen Half Marathon in September, assuming that it mm -hmm. runs. I, I think that there's a good chance that it'll run. Um, and I'm excited because even though I've um, done other ones, it's been... By the time I run it, it'll be a little bit more than two and a half years since the last one. So that's why it's a little nerve wracking, but yeah. also it's flat, which means that I should be able to make a new personal best record. <laughs> Yay! Yay. Uh, so I just want to, um, I want to be one of those people who at the end of my life, like at one point. I got either first, second, or third because there were no more than three people in my age group in the half marathon. Been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved that story. And that, um, you know, I just want to be healthy enough that I don't have to give up writing because I've done some terrible thing to my back or my neck or my shoulders or my hips or like I want to be healthy enough to continue doing things that I think are important because part of the, um, you know, the tagline to my classes and to the podcast is write a book, change the world. And honestly, your book is one of the kinds of books that I think can 
very, very much change the world by changing oh. individuals' lives. Thank you. Thank you. That, that was my purpose for writing the book. Um, you know, we, I wanted to use the words to give people hope and, and really to just give them a new vision that that change is possible and it is possible to transform your life at, at any age. And, and then they use the proceeds of the book to support a foundation that helps people with their dreams. And so I feel very, very blessed to have had this opportunity to write the book. That's so wonderful. Wow. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. We really appreciate you being here. Well, it's been a delight and I wish you lots of luck with your half marathon. That, that distance is no joke. Um, so kudos to you for, for doing another one and, and I'll be cheering for you. Yeah.